0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia.
1: Good morning, you're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance, and I'm Sin Boon. Now, since its introductions in the 90s, exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, have become one of the most popular investment vehicles for both institutional and individual investors. Often promoted as cheaper and better than mutual funds, ETFs offer low-cost di- low diversification, trading, and arbitrage options for investors. ETFs, basically as the name implies, are funds that trade on exchanges, generally tracking a specific index. Now, when you invest in an ETF, you get a bundle of assets you can buy and sell, uh, potentially lowering your risk and exposure while helping to diversify your portfolio. But... 2022 was an extremely difficult year for the markets and no asset class really performed exceptionally well, with maybe the exception of the US dollar. Now, this $6.5 trillion ETF industry did see their fund size shrink, no thanks to the sharp drawdowns by investors, whilst value of investments also shrank. Even some of the new ETFs that tried to capture the most recent investment teams like cryptocurrency burned bright and then faded. So how will ETFs do in 2023? What will be the factors that pour into their performance and is it still a place to park your money stephanie leong chief investment officer at StashAway, a robo advisor that primarily focuses on etfs is here to answer those questions good morning and welcome to the show stephanie
0: hi good morning
1: So let's recap a quick, uh, have a quick recap of 2022. The um, S&P closed out, particularly a painful year with Wall Street's chalking approximately 20% decline, its worst annual showing since the financial crisis in 2018. The accompanying spider S&P 500 Trust ETF shed 19%. Why was last year so bad for the investment landscape?
0: Yeah, I think uh, you're right. I mean, last year was actually one of the most uh, extraordinary years we've ever had in almost like 30 years. And uh, the combination of high inflation plus the Fed uh, very aggressively hiking interest rates have impacted, I mean, not just equities, but also bonds, commodities, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, the impact was actually felt across all the asset classes. In particular, if you look at the returns of bonds and equities, um, bonds, I mean, equities were down about 20%. I mean, bonds were down about 15%. Uh, That was with the rebound in, in the last two months of the year. And typically, I mean, uh, with bonds and equities, uh, you have a negative relationship, meaning that typically, when bonds, uh, when stocks are down, bonds would be up, and vice versa. The extraordinary thing that happened this year was that actually both stocks and bonds were down at the same time, and that was because the Fed has been hiking interest rates at a pace that has 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 been very very uh, extraordinary and aggressive. In that particular regime, uh, a diversified portfolio, for example, a very common portfolio, which is 60-40, which is 60% equities and 40% bonds, uh, also significantly underperformed. And uh, I guess looking back at what happened, of course, we had the, um, the pandemic uh, and the Fed actually injected quite a lot of liquidity into the system. And uh, that caused uh, inflation in the U.S. to, to spike and hence, I mean, the Fed had to raise, raise interest rates uh, from like below 1% to 425 to 4.5% in the latest uh, Fed meeting. And also, I mean, the, the, the Fed is actually having a meeting uh, this week, and the market actually expects the Fed to hike even uh, further. So I think that was a backdrop setting the stage for 2022. And uh, I think looking forward, I mean, we do see a few things uh, that are on the change on the horizon. But yeah, indeed, I mean, 2022 has been a very, very tough uh, year for investors.
1: So what was it like specifically from Stashway's perspective? How did it really impacted your portfolios and the way you allocated your uh, uh, investments?
0: Yeah, I think uh, for Stash way. I mean, last year was also a tough year for us Uh, in terms of uh, absolute returns. uh, General investing portfolios were down uh, on average uh, 7.6 percent with the high risk portfolios, uh, which is, uh, I guess, 100 percent equity benchmarked uh, down 11 percent. Uh, the I guess the, the silver lining on that is that uh, compared to the same risk benchmarks, uh, because for each one of our portfolios, we have a benchmark uh, comprising of similar risk mix of bonds and equities. And compared to the same benchmarks, we actually manage to outperform on most of our portfolios. And on average, we outperform by about 6%. Uh, the for the lower risk portfolios, we actually uh, managed to outperform even more. So, for example, uh, for the uh, we call the statutory Risk Index SRI, uh, the lower uh, statutory Risk Index SRI portfolios actually um, outperformed by about uh, eight to, 10 to eight to nine percent, which is actually quite significant given the uh, the, the absolute um, uh, number that we're looking at.
1: Yeah, these are the 6.5% risk index, uh, the lower ones. And yes, they do. But as I move higher up the ladder, the more riskier ones, they didn't uh, perform as well. I mean, was that the mindset that Stash Away had going into these volatile markets? I mean, how did statue react?
0: Yeah, I think the, I mean, we don't try to predict these events because, I mean, these events by definition is almost impossible to predict. If you ask uh, Wall Street E- economists or forecasters uh, last year, nobody would have predicted that the Fed would hike interest rates to almost 5%. Nobody would have predicted that the US CPI would peak at 8 to 9%. Uh, same as this year. So we actually, uh, when we were composing our outlooks, we actually surveyed uh, what, the, what, what Wall Street or the street is saying. And of course, the big kind of debate this year is about recession mm-hmm. or how much economic slowdown we're going to see. And if you look at kind of Wall Street forecasts, they're kind of split uh, in the middle. So, one cam says, oh, we're going to deep recession. The other cam says, oh, actually, we're going to get a soft landing. Uh, the market right now seems to be agree with, agreeing with the soft landing cam. You see, I mean, S&P mar- uh, recovering, uh, interest rates coming off. Everything seems to be fine. It seems to be quite rosy. Uh, but I guess the pitfall to, to kind of forecasting these events is that, um, when the event doesn't, when the forecast actually doesn't eventualize, um, if you don't react very, very quickly to it, um, you, I mean, the portfolio returns would suffer. So what we do instead is to uh, number one monitor the data uh, on a real time basis so that we can actually um, uh, react in real time and make adjustments accordingly, and number two to be prepared for the uh, kind of unforeseen. Us being asset managers, we're also risk managers. Mm-hmm. So we're always trying to like kind of look out for risks that are on the horizon and how to we, we prevent uh, investors' drawdown from it. And I guess the, um, the reason for that is because drawdowns are the number one enemy uh, to long-term returns. Because I, I, if you have a five percent drawdown, let's say I mean you have hundred dollar, it goes down to ninety five dollar. Uh, you only need maybe a five percent, slightly more than five percent uh, uh, increase to recover your, your I guess your, your your capital. However, if your uh, capital, uh, initial capital goes down by fifty percent, i.e., going from hundred to fifty, then you need to double that to return back to hundred. So uh, the ability to kind of uh, manage a portfolio according to drawdown, we think, is, is very, very important uh, in, from a risk manager or from an asset manager perspective. And the returns would, would come when, the I mean, as I said before, right, the cycle kind of
1: repeats itself. So how often do you rebalance your portfolios? I mean, from the sounds of it, you seem quite reactionary as well.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we we have these uh, now classes that we track um, to look at where we are in terms of the growth and inflation cycle. And uh, in the statuary kind of um, uh, definition, we have something called ERA, uh, Economic Regime Asset Allocation Model, mm-hmm where we divide the uh, cycle into uh, four different phases or four different um, kind of specific regimes. And each one of these regimes actually correspond to um, different uh, setups for optimal portfolios. So we only uh, re-optimize portfolios when we switch from one regime to another. So for example, in in kind of uh, 2021, uh, we switched regime uh, from a low inflation regime to a high inflation regime. And that's why that's when we re optimize our portfolios to include um, uh, assets that would benefit from inflation, for example, uh, energy stocks, for example, uh, floating rates, uh, uh, fixed income products. Uh, we also recently did a re-optimization in December, and that was also because the inflation environment is changing. Uh, also, growth environment has also deteriorated. And I, I I can go a lot deeper into what that entails.
1: All right. And we'll dive back into this in just a bit. Uh, but before that, we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Stay tuned for Ringgit
0: and Sense. Brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia.
1: Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense. I'm Sim Wee Boon and we have with us here today Stephanie Leong, CIO for Stash Away and she's here today to talk to us about ETFs, uh, how 2022 impacted uh, the market and her outlook for the market as well. Uh, now, Steph, before we went to, into the break, you were we were discussing um, portfolio rebalancing and how you look to react to the few uh, key market events and how uh, Stash Away rebalanced their portfolio. Uh, but my question, for you now is it sounds that you quite actively manage your portfolios, which for a business that encourages one to hold long term, their customers to hold long term, this seems like a glaring inconsistency.
0: I think it it depends on how you define active. Um, if you think about uh, asset allocation, there's two types of allocations. So number one is a strategic asset allocation. Uh, which refers to how you would allocate between like bonds, equities, etc., according to your own personal preference and your time frame. So, for example, if you are somebody who's just starting out to work, of course, your, 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 your risk uh, tolerance is a lot higher and your time rises a lot longer. So that means you can have a much greater percentage of stocks so or risky assets in your portfolio versus somebody who is retiring. So that is a strategic asset allocation preference. And that actually shouldn't change that, that much, right? Because if you, um, uh, let's say, I mean, you're 20 year olds, like for a whole decade, you may have like a very, very similar time horizon and risk tolerance. So that is strategic S <clears throat> allocation. There's something uh, apart from strategic called tactical S allocation as well. And I guess tactical S allocation has a range of definitions. Uh, we actually um, uh, define the tactical asset allocation as responding to regime changes. The reason why we think that is effective is because you're not trading every day. Right? You're not trading mm-hmm. in and out. Uh, the other active thing that an investor can do is to pick uh, stocks or pick instruments, like pick companies. That is also active uh, because you're, you're actively making a, a decision that you can beat the market that you can actually uh, do better than the index. It's also a very hard thing to do. It's because uh, the asset manager that, 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 that does that actually do a lot of research, like mm-hmm. very in-depth research. I mean, you talk to uh, all the sell side analysts, you build company models, you talk to uh, the company, but I mean, that is also active management because you're actively choosing one company over yeah. the other. I mean, to me, what we're doing is tactical asset allocation, which is not active because we're corresponding to different regimes that don't change that much, right? But they actually do switch maybe every like once, every one year or two years. The reason why it's important to respond to these macro changes is because uh, these asset classes uh, behave very, very differently uh, under these fundamental changes in the in the economy. Of course, if you look around the economy, if you look at around the environment, when the economy changes, uh, things do change, right? Jobs are, are are more plentiful. Jobs are less plentiful. You get more uh, pay rise. You get less. Uh, restaurants are more full. Et cetera, et cetera. So these things actually do impact your mm-hmm. everyday life. And if not for for investment, is if you're not even if you're not an investor, it's important to pay attention to these things, right? Do you buy a house now? Mm-hmm. Like do you get on a mortgage? I mean, these are live events that you should like decisions that you should make. To me. Uh, the tactical asset allocation is actually very, very similar. You're making certain like very important decisions for your portfolio according to where you are in the macro
1: cycle. Yeah, but your funds underperformed. So was there a tactical error on your part? I guess we,
0: um, if, I, if I look at Satchel's history, uh, we actually outperformed in all the years except 2021. I'll be very honest, 2021 was uh, was a bad year for us because we made a, um, I guess, a decision to... Yeah, we're going yeah, yeah, to dive into To allocate into China internet. Uh, and it was a quite an outsized allocation as well. Um, and of course, like, we, we actually rolled the way up in China Internet because in like, kind of second half of 2020 and early part of 2021, China Internet was actually performing very, very well. And it contributed to like, significant
1: outperformance. Okay, but look we, okay, since we're there now let's let's talk about China then you know so sure. yeah, like you said, like, just give some background right but Around 2021, Stashaway placed a large proportion of the funds into the uh, crane share, CSI, China internet ETF or Kweb. you know many portfolios, like you said, ended overweight on China tech stocks, but they subsequently suffered after regulators mm. came down hard. The decision to go into that early on, was that a mistake on Stashaway's part at that point in time?
0: Uh, I think the decision to go in was not a mistake uh, because uh, we actually went in in 2020. Mm. And I mean, the funds actually did outperform. But uh, the, of course, then I mean, the political environment in China changed. And I guess the uh, one, I guess the in in retrospect, what we could have done better was actually to trim the position or exit the position earlier. So we kind of overstayed our welcome. And uh, that was one, I think that is due to several reasons, which we have actually rectified uh, afterwards. Uh, number one is to be kind of more attuned to the political changes. I mean, those are more qualitative changes that like, we weren't able to capture in our model. And to that end, I mean, we've actually beefed up our kind of capability in terms of the investment research team. I. Now we have a macro analyst focused on like really I mean looking at these macro kind of qualitative events uh, and to generate advice uh, based on those. So it's not just kind of um, uh, uh, I guess the I would put it this way, right? The the qualitative events are are more I guess the the market is more um, uh, vulnerable. To these kind of external events, when the data is actually already soft, and that's what actually what happened in China, because the China data was soft, starting to soften uh, back in early two thousand twenty-one, because the Chinese would, Chinese government was actually actively tightening the monetary uh, condition. Uh, however, the I mean the, the 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 magnitude of that policy change was also very very powerful, in the sense that it kind of like, over overrode a lot of the data. So I think. Number one is that we're now more attuned to policy kind of announcements and changes, particularly when the macro environment is not that certain. The second thing is on risk control, um, because the China allocation would not have been so devastating if the uh, if, if the position wasn't kind of that big mm. uh, or that overweight. So to that end, we've also implemented several measures to ensure that uh, for a narrow kind of sector focused ETFs, uh, we actually don't uh, have uh, that much allocation in pro- in any of our portfolios ever again.
1: So moving forward, we will we see large proportions dedicated to a specific country, a specific sector, a specific segment, or you know even if the prospect seems quite bullish.
0: Mm. Uh, I think there are a few things that we did. Number one is actually to take into account the relative performance of a particular ETF versus uh, the I guess the overall market. So as I said, uh, we overstay our welcome in in China because it went up so much uh, on the way down it's also very painful yeah. uh, and I mean for investors who were with us for a long time of course they they, they, they kind of enjoyed the ride up but a lot of investors actually came in. Uh, after the write up and they, I mean they only see the, the, the write down. And it was it was very, very hard for those investors as well. So uh, number one is to uh, kind of relook at the relative performance. if something has already outperformed, then of course um, the allocation shouldn't be as big. Uh, second thing is we looked at the kind of the allocation versus the benchmarks. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, in equities, uh, SP, like if you look at kind of MSCI world right S&P has 60% allocate, like kind of benchmark weight so what we what we're implementing is also a limit as to how much you can deviate from the benchmark so like china internet has a much much lower uh, allocation in the benchmark and therefore the limit for china internet should also be lower
1: one thing that I do want to bring up is also the introduction of the flexible portfolio solution, mm. right? Which now you're giving more. I would say, I think for a layman, term, it sounds like you are giving more control to your investors because you're allowing them to custom make their own portfolios with a variety of ETFs or. Is that also a function of um, the past two years that maybe you have recognized that or that investors want a bit more control of that portfolio?
0: Mm. Actually, that's that's a. Great point. Uh, because I think we've launched um, a few new products uh, in the last twelve months. Thematic so. ones Tematic as well. Thematic yeah. ones, and uh, there's one managed portfolio by BlackRock that we yes. launched.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so Flex is also our latest kind of addition uh, to StashAway, yeah. and what we're trying to do is to actually make StashAway a platform for uh, everyone to invest. Now, uh, most of our investors actually still have, um, still have our managed, like, statuary managed portfolios. However, there are increasing investors, uh, some with kind of more um, financial knowledge who wants to manage their own uh, portfolios, or, or they want to customize uh, the portfolios that we already have on the platform. So, Flex actually gives these investors a great option. Let's say, I mean, you want to start out, like, let's say you want to start with a general investing portfolio, right? You, you like the the way we think about regimes, you think oh it's a great way for me to start investment. Uh, however, you see something that you don't really like, you you want to uh, kind of uh, remove that. Let's say uh, if like, let's say we have energy in uh, our portfolios, and you think energy is not like very ESG compliant, so you want to take it out. And Flex actually allows you the flexibility of doing that. Uh, you can actually. Like remove some of the ETFs that we have uh, according to your own uh, strategic asset allocation preferences.
1: But what does this say about your own Stash Away selections when it seems like more uh, control is given to the investors? I mean, then this makes you, like you said, another platform, right? Then where do I see the value in terms of letting Stash Away manage my own portfolio? Mm.
0: Well, I, th- I think uh, if you look at our history, um, including last year, I guess we, I mean, we still managed to outperform um, our benchmarks. And I think the Um, the one thing that really, I think, I mean, really stands out with the Sashway portfolios is the concept of the Stashway Risk Index. Mm. So, I mean, what we still pledge to our customers is that the SRI is something that we stand by. Uh, We try our best to manage the portfolios such that the SRIs uh, are really your true downside risk. Uh, Of course, it's, not 100% perfect. For those who are new to the Statuary platform, uh, the Statuary Risk Index uh, refers to the maximum drawdown that you will experience uh, 99% of the time. So for example, for somebody who's more conservative, uh, you can choose an SRI 10% portfolio, which means that 99% of the time, you your portfolio, the maximum drawdown that you would experience would be 10% over a 12-month period. Uh, over time, Uh, higher risk means higher return. I mean, I think this is a great way for anybody to start investment because the first thing that you need to ask yourself uh, before doing any investment is what kind of risk can you sustain? Because there's there's actually no free lunch in investment apart from diversification. The reason why there's no free lunch is that the more risk you take, the more return you get in the long term. And if you say it another way, the higher return that you want, I mean, the more kind of volatility, the more ups and downs you need to endure. Uh, And as I said at the beginning of this interview, um, for a lot of investors, the number one reason of not able to reap the benefits of long-term return is because of the ups and downs and getting shaked out at the downs. Because if, if you look, just look at the stats, right, equities uh, have returned 9%, nine percent 10% every year in the past 30, 40 years. I mean, bonds are a bit lower, but still, I mean, very respectable single digits. I think it's it's important to keep that perspective in mind. And this is kind of what the Stash Away um, uh, Risk Index does.
1: So then looking ahead into 2023, what are your key expectations? What will be kind of the, the things that you... Or statue, you will be looking out for to maintain what you just said, right?
0: Yeah, I think uh, so. 2022 was a very tough environment, and that was because of inflation. Uh, we're seeing changes at the margin uh, for the environment um, in the sense that inflation is still high, but it's actually rolling over. Ie, it's it's coming down from a very very.
1: You've come off the peak, exactly.
0: You've come off the peak for growth. Um, it's. It's been coming off the peak, and now we're actually seeing a entrance into a economic contraction. So uh, this is typically not a very good environment uh, still for risky assets, but a better environment potentially for a few asset classes. For example, uh, bonds actually perform better in that environment. And I think what we've seen in the past two we- uh, months or so in terms of uh, – Yields coming down. If you look at uh, U.S. treasuries, uh, the longer duration there is, I mean, the, the more like the, the interest rates have come down. Uh, and in for bonds, when interest rates come down, actually price appreciates. So I mean, bonds were actually performing uh, relatively better uh, in late later part of two thousand twenty-two. And that is because the market is actually worried about a economic slowdown. We think that the economic slowdown debate will actually continue to dominate uh, the market kind of uh, discussion in 2023. And, I mean, of course, in that environment, risky assets will still be quite choppy. But we think that um, the, the, the balancing assets, the safety assets are like, not bad places to hide. So those include uh, bonds um, uh, and also, for example, gold. Uh, given that I mean, US dollar strength should probably um, uh, kind of
1: subside this year. And that's all the time we have for Ringgit and Sense. I've been speaking to Stephanie Leong, Chief Investment Officer at Stash Away. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We have the 10am News Bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. I'm Sim Wee Boon from The Morning Run, BFM 89.9.
0: Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Sun Life Malaysia, your lifetime insurance and takaful partner.